Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the chocolate room. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspired Astrology Podcast, aka The Wizard and the Bear, this round at least. It's a full moon, so we have Jonah Emerson Bell, also known as Blind Stallion Space Wizard, though his handle on the Instagrams, um, back to speak with us about this Sagittarius full moon uh, happening to you on, to you, you specifically, absolutely, right? (laughs) Happening to all of us in this world, in this universe, uh, from here on Earth, spaceship planet Earth, on Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. That's tomorrow. I'm recording this on Friday. Uh, Anyway, that's going to be coming around at 10.42 p.m., Saturday evening, Central Standard Time. Uh, Yeah, this should be a really interesting lunation, gaining on perspective, one of the great gifts of Gemini season, and also that emotional long view in getting to feel and know where we are headed, where we are directed in this big, spacious existence of ours. Uh, A couple cool aspects here. We have the Mercury and Uranus conjunction. Uh, A couple contacts between Venus and Pluto and Venus and Saturn. It's going to be a good one, folks, uh, as will this episode. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy the ride. Hi, Jonah. Happy Gemini season. Happy Gemini season, Lauren. Oh, the Sagittarius and the Aries with the North Node and Gemini talk about mercurial things and a Sagittarius full moon. Where do we even start? What do we, where do we even go with this? There's so many directions with Gemini. Fine. Well, there's usually two, right? So we can start at one and then uh, we'll get to the other one eventually. Yeah. So here we are in the season of wind, of mutable wind, of air of electric currents ruling the hands and movement and thought and communication. I'd love to get like your immediate impressions about 
Gemini? What are things that you think of or maybe personalities or actors or? Well, that's an interesting thought, you know, because if, if we look at um, our earth placement, right? The earth placement is always directly opposite of the sun in our makeup. And I think that the earth is often overlooked because A, we're sitting on it, right? So we're not really aware of that perspective the way that we do when we look at planner, planner, planners, <laughs> planets, <laughs> because we're excluding our own. And, you know, this is, this is unrelated to Gemini, but I think that this is kind of powerful information to have that earth is not considered a sacred planet in esoteric astrology. It's not considered sacred because we haven't found it to be sacred, those of us living here, the guardians that are protecting this place. So learning to elevate our own consciousness and our own sense of love and heart for this world and for other beings in it, in a sense, helps us to elevate and uplift the energy and the vibration of earth as a, as a system, right? That we're all a part of. So in our own makeup, we have to look towards earth in our chart as what we have to work on to elevate our own consciousness and our own life path to contribute to that greater sacred story that's unfolding. Ooh, I love that. I love that. And, um, you know, not to like get too off topic uh, before we even begin, but I think the study of astrology for me, right, even though like we're looking at the stars, right, we're looking out into the firmament. Um, for me, it's this relationship with the stars and the cosmos and how we bring that down to this planet, right? Into the physical body, into the uh, microcosm, right? And noticing the correlations with the planetary archetypes in the terrestrial world, right? And noticing where the signs and the planets live in the body and where they sort of show up in the world, right? Um, and the correlations, right? You know, Mercury, the ruler of uh, Gemini, right? Like where that mercurial energy shows up in uh, conversation, in books, in information, in data, right? In uh, thieves, in the marketplace, right? All of these sort of correspondences with Mercury and by proxy Gemini and beginning to sort of live in a world that is um, integrated, right? With the above and the below. Yeah, I think it's okay to get off topic because this is Gemini season. We can go all over the place if we feel like it. So keep up with us, folks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, Jonah and I were chatting a bit uh, before we hit the record button uh, on our boombox of laptops. Uh, I I truly feel like there's there's so much to imagine with Gemini about putting the puzzle pieces together right? Like being such a, a head led sign and energetic that there's constantly a need for stimulation, I think for a lot of Geminis. And that's either interest in trying out new things. Maybe that's specifically learning other languages, which can be a Gemini trait for some, right? It's not universal by any means. You know, usually there's a ninth house aspect of that or like third, ninth kind of context to learn foreign languages. You know, I was painting the picture of Jean-Michel Basquiat, who's a, a beautiful American artist who's been dead for many, many years. But he was well known for, in his studios, constantly needing stimulation. 
And the way that he painted was by gri gripping the pens and pencils and markers and paintbrushes in a very childlike quality in his hands. He was quite skilled in the more, you know, masterful traditional way of making classical art, but he chose to like use the different hand or to grip it as a child to kind of process through childhood trauma that he experienced. Um, a lot of his paintings look very um, immature in a way just because of the drawings and the way that the handwriting is, but it, there's some mastery in that because of its intention. And in his studio, he would have, you know, a, a you know, record playing, the radio was on, there might be a movie in the background, and he was constantly moving, going through magazines, flipping through books. So there was this constant consumption or hunger for stimulation that was then able to kind of, I don't know, synthesize, I think would be a Gemini word, like to synthesize within the system than with an output. Mm. And um, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't, I could look up Jean-Michel's uh, chart, but I was thinking, can you think of any other characters that come to mind right away? Not off the top of my head, um, but um, I uh, had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Gemini the other day, and uh, they were talking about um, how they like to read and listen to an audio book at the same time, right? And this sort of just like sea of information that they are moving in and we had a conversation about silence right and like what like what it's like to tune into silence and like you know there's this sort of idea that like silence means nothing right but i think for the gemini mind right silence could be with the like radio playing and like a record going and the tv on right um, and, you know, I think about like listening to uh, like death metal, right? And the like um, the overwhelm of information, right? And the overwhelm of sound creating this sort of like quiet uh, eye of the hurricane kind of vibe, right? Which is so something not that like Gemini's are into death metal uh, necessarily, but I think that there is like this association with like the quiet in this like sea of information, right? That's being processed and like kind of um, just moving through like this field of information, which, you know, we're doing all of the time, right? And even now listening to us, right? You can tune into the information that one's receiving from the body, right? The ambient noises in the in the room right like maybe you're driving and like what you're picking up on right we're always sort of uh surrounded by this like sea of information and i think that's uh the sweet spot for gemini as i understand it yeah i i think that the the puzzle piece making part of it like i think of gemini and i think of playing games and puzzles constantly. I, I don't know. It, and it can be on your phone or with physical activities like, you know, a physical puzzle, but also being able to hear and to synthesize information from multiple surrounding places and being able to piece it back together in the mind. Right. And, and if you have a Gemini partner or a friend or something, and you think they're not listening to you, test it out. They probably are, and they are able to kind of like recalibrate what's been happening with the stimulation in their environment because it's that is the comfort zone. Just as mm -hmm. Jonah mentioned, that like maybe it's not about silence, maybe it is about the stimulation that creates uh, that that stillness within. Right, right, and I also think about the sort of um, uh, dual dual pole nature of Gemini, right? The twins, right, uh, which is like traditionally Castor and Pollux. 
right? Um, which I also like to think of as Castor and Pollux Troy from the excellent John Woo film Face Off. Um, but right, like these uh, these twin characters, right? So like maybe one's talking and one's listening, right? And they can switch kind of uh, without without us knowing, right? And sometimes like the individual isn't really aware of like what twin is on uh, or in the spotlight, you know? And I think uh, Gemini also like really about communication, right? Speaking, which are all like mercurial qualities, right? Um, how we uh, intellectualize things, how we process information, how we convey information. Um, and, you know, I also think about listening as being one of the uh, poles of the uh, of communication, right? And it's not just speaking and uh, putting out the info. It's also about taking it in and receiving it. Dualism that is its own topic of conversation altogether, right? Because, you know, I consider like the the gender conversations that are so prevalent today and that we have this binary reality because of the use of language and because of cultural norms and such. So when we move into non-dualism, then we're escaping that because we're encompassing all of it into those pieces. And you know, Mercury is considered a sort of a transfigure in in so many ways in um, traditional Greek mythology because he was young, he was old, he was man, he was woman, he was all these different things. You're studying alchemy, Jonah, as well. So I, I feel like there's so much to bring into the mercurial conversation and this idea of the messenger right? Bringing information from above to below as below, so above, which is sort of the, the key hermetic rule. Hermes is this really fascinating figure because it defies space and time. He was the only god that was able to kind of come back down to earth, transmitting messages from Mount Olympus, aka like god realm, um, back and forth from earth. And he was known for protecting travelers and merchants and the quicksilver tongue and even the term mercury being applied to the, the periodic table element of mercury uh, in that it it's moves, it's quicksilver, you, you touch it and it disappears and it's, it's sort of ungraspable. And Jonah and I were doing a meditation around the nervous system, which is kind of its own ungraspable concept because it, it is in the fabric of our nature and we can't feel the electrical pulses within our beings until they become problematic or they're not, they're not functioning correctly. Do you have thoughts on Mercury before we move more into that dualism? Because I definitely want to talk about the mythology of the twins and how that plays into um, modern viewpoints on Gemini. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on Mercury. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think one of the best stories of Mercury is um, as soon as uh, they were born, they start playing tricks, right? They steal uh, Apollo's cattle. They kind of like weasel their way uh, through trickery into uh, becoming a god. Right. Like no one knows what to do with them. And they're just sort of like, yeah, like I wrote this hymn that says that I'm a god. So like I must be a god. And everybody is sort of dumbfounded. Right. Like and the moment that they like uh, emerge from the cave after they're born, uh, they kill it. They kill a turtle and make the lyre. Right. The first musical instrument. And then they invite invent um, the the hymn. Right. Um, and so they they're like 
constantly inventing and also inventing reality to sort of suit their purposes right and so i think one of the things that shows up for me with mercury is like the fact that reality is malleable right i mean there are like saturnian laws that govern 3d reality right but like within that like things are flexible things are malleable right um they're like they are able to sort of shift the course of events and like through how things are perceived or the story that's told or how we like speak about ourselves, right? Or how we speak about the situation. And I think that's a really valuable quality. Um, and also like just from an alchemical sense, um, a lot of the like great work of alchemy, right? Which Mercury um, is one of the core elements of um, is this sort of separation of uh the elements of whatever the the work it is being done on right separating out things into their component parts distilling them down into their essence purifying them and then rejoining them and the kind of culmination of the great work is the um uh conjunction of the opposites right and we can think about this as active and receptive or like in a very basic way like masculine and feminine which you know that might that's kind of outdated but like um you know we're talking about a system that goes back to like uh 200 bc um, yep yeah i'm just thinking about how both of us are talking with our hands a lot <laughs> You know, which is, is like a very Gemini kind of expression. I think about Gemini rising as somebody who's constantly have their hands like moving and like their face very animated in the way that they express themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Gemini placements tend to have that um, that sort of eagerness in their voice to like connect and to, you know, to to communicate, to listen and to, and to share. Yeah, so story so storytelling is a big big piece of that with the the Gemini legends and what you were just saying about alchemy and kind of breaking things down to its parts. That feels more like a Virgoan Mercury, right? Whereas in this season of Gemini ruled by Mercury, it feels like the frenetic chaotic movement and shift of seasons. Mm -hmm. So in, in seasonal archetypology, which is uh, kind of like, I guess, the practice that I'm embracing in a very deep way that, you know, as we're changing seasons from the stable Taurus, like the, the welcoming in of spring, you know, that the winter is done and over with. And before we can get into summer, into cancer season, before we hit the, the solstice, we do have strong winds, strong rains, big shifting energy, big wind. And wind and air, as it's the same thing, right? But air as an element is, um, it, it's untouchable, right? It's something that we can perceive, but we can't control or grasp. And it has the power to shift deserts. It has the power to, you know, culminate large tsunami waves. It can, it can shift everything. It can blow everything down. Um, but it's also like gentle and quite nice when we're like overheated <laughs> or refreshing and, and sort of gives us a sense of newness, which is very air element and very Gemini. I think the sense of newness and chasing newness in a way. Yeah. And I, I've, uh, you bring up a really interesting point about its um, invisibility, right? And we only recognize the air when it, when it moves something else, right? 
you only recognize wind through like the movement of the trees, right? Um, or the sound it makes, but it has no uh, visual representation in of itself. It's only visual representation is what it's affecting. Even our words, right? Like words don't have a, an appearance, right? Just like the shape of our mouths. Mm -hmm. But um, oh, that, like thought, thought is invisible. We're talking about abstractions and about the mental plane, which I think Mercury is very connected to that. And processing from a mental level um, sort of abandons the emotional component, which is so strong in so many of the other signs, particularly water signs is what I'm thinking of. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on the way that like a, a Gemini moon processes information or feelings, right? Like, is, isn't it kind of thinky pain a little bit more of the like, well, if we look at it from this angle or this perspective? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I think about the moon um, uh, as like where we go when we get activated, right? That's like a a way that um, I I perceive that archetype, and you know, so like an air sign or a Gemini is being like, I need information, right? Like something went down, I want to get all the information that I can. Right. Or we, we think about like a Gemini moon at like a dinner party, like walking into a dinner party and it like wants to go and talk to people, maybe like gossip. Right. Get the dirt. Right. And um, not like getting the dirt in the same way like a Scorpio moon would, which is like to use it later. Right. Um, if it gets cornered, but to get the to get the dirt because it like wants to be in the know. Right. Like air signs like want to be in the know because there's a sense of like safety and comfort in that. I, I kind of uh, want to get back to like the binary because I think that's interesting, right? And um, the kind of evolution that we're experiencing um, maybe like towards, well, non-dualism sounds great. Uh, it's easier said than done, but, you know, expanding our concept of the this and that, right? Um, and I have to say, like, one of my favorite things about the 21st century is the invention of a secret third thing, right? That there is this, there is that, and then there is a secret third thing. Um, and I think that is uh, such a beautiful um, kind of synthesis, right? Or um, opening up uh, from the kind of binary thinking or dualist thinking into like, but what is the other possibility? I guess from from my background and the way that you know my my mom and my teachers communicated about Gemini's dualism is more or less being a spiritual being in the physical body, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there's nothing more non-dual than that when you start to see a person for just the the spirit that inhabits a form and and that that connection there. and like one cannot exist without the other. But when we when we start to see people just as souls, as energy in a cloak, we stop thinking about what's in their pants, right? Which is one of the biggest conversations within the conservative right at this moment is like, we want to know what's underneath there when it's like, that really doesn't matter. It's like what's in our hearts or like what is in the way that we communicate that is is more important. Yeah. Also, that's gross, right? Right. And fucking rude. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, for real. And the the piece that I think that I connect with the most is uh, that, that deeper voice within that's not being communicated to the above self. And so there becomes all this internalized resentment and anger because the personality is not listening to the deeper desires per se. 
and, and that, like that inner knowing piece. And so then there's a disconnect between the inside and the outside. And that creates a lot of um, discomfort in a, in a personality because they, they don't know what's wrong because it's beneath the surface. Hmm. Yeah, that makes me think about um, another kind of concept of the Gemini archetype of like the twin and the evil twin, right? Um, which, um, you know, makes me think about the myth of Anana. Um, who goes into the underworld to meet their evil twin, Ereshkigal, right? And this sort of the part of self that gets relegated to the underworld, right? That gets rejected, the twin that is like shut out or the part of the personality that's shut out and um, the importance of kind of meeting that shadow self and integrating it, right? Which coming back around to alchemy, right? Is that kind of understanding, purifying, um, appreciating and reintegrating of the parts of self that get kind of pushed away either because they're um you know the family doesn't like them society says they're wrong right um your friends are like i don't like when you're like that right so we sort of split off these parts of personality um and then to kind of rediscover them and reintegrate them right so that there isn't that dissonance between this like um disembodied twin that is, you know, in need of something, right? And the part of self that like tries to repress that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the frag fragmentation, I think the way that we splinter, just as you've described, that feels more of like a Plutonian concept, right? Working with the shadow nature, the subconscious, the psyche, but Mercury has a play in the psyche lesson as well think about that the shadow nature is something to be integrated within Gemini as well, you know, communicating with the self, learning and understanding about the self, being curious about some of our darker habits, right? Or things that we do to sabotage ourselves without knowing that we're doing it. Yeah. You know, it's always time for shadow work, right? <laughs> but uh, seriously, folks, um, uh, Mercury is the only uh, Olympian that can go down into the underworld. And so they have this special relationship with Pluto and they even like share an invisibility helmet, right? Uh, the, the winged helmet. So there is this, right? Like, uh, and Mercury is the kind of mediator between the above and the below, right? And we can think of the above as the like thinky realm, right? The Olympian realm of the head, right? And logic and logos and, you know, the brain and the like ego as the little guy sitting behind your eyes who is driving the machine of the body. And then the underworld, right? Which is maybe like the whole somatic realm, everything from the neck down, right? Which like can be really confusing um, trying to process the signals from all of that like massive uh, electrical wiring and flesh especially if no one has told you that's okay or that that's possible yeah i'm overstimulated <laughs> but uh yeah yeah psychopomp mercury or psychopomp hermes is the one that can dive into the into the subconscious into the shadow realms of of pluto territory hades if you will um I get it. I've always been annoyed with astrology because I, I learned Greek mythology and I've always had to translate to the Roman gods. And I just find that annoying, but I digress. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel you. Um, so you want to talk about uh, this full moon? No, 
um, uh, yeah, I, I do. I really, I really do, Jonah. And yeah. coming from the the Sagittarius that you are, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take the lead on this one since you're still uh, working out the Gemini stuff. Thanks. Well, um, yeah, I just want to give uh, Sagittarius some some play in here. Um, so we're getting a full moon on uh, June the third at. Uh, I guess that would be 11.41 p.m. Eastern time, which would make it 8.41 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And uh, this is at, the sun is at 13 degrees, 18 degrees, 13 degrees, 18 minutes of Gemini, and the moon is opposing it, thus creating the full moon at 13 degrees and 18 minutes of Sagittarius. And so, yeah, we were talking a lot about Mercury and Gemini. And so across the Zodiac, we have uh, Sagittarius, which is, you know, the the symbol of the archer and the uh, centaur, right, which is a half human, half horse. Um, and one of the things that I find interesting, right, is we have Gemini, this kind of um, dual nature, right, these two uh, poles, these twins, and then we have the uh, Sagittarius or the Centaur, which is like two beings fused into one in this kind of like mythological being, which is uh, neither all human nor all horse, right? But we have the kind of bestial animal nature integrating with the human nature, which um, can go really well if it's integrated uh, in a healthy way, or it can be problematic if it is unintegrated, right? Um, and I think in a lot of the Greek myth, there was uh, issue with the Sagittarian or with the uh, centaurs um, because there's this sort of fear of the animal nature, like overtaking the human nature and them running amok and like getting drunk and uh, destroying things, right? And so... You know, I think there's this big piece about integration, right, and how we uh, create the secret third thing, right, which I think a centaur is kind of a secret third thing um, that lives in, in like, on the threshold of the forest and the, like, human world. Yeah, that that's a that's a good picture of dualism between those two spaces. Um, I think of the child and the teacher, right, the, mm -hmm. the wise one, the seasoned one and the importance of maintaining uh, childlike curiosity and not getting getting jaded, if you will. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than a know-it-all, right? That's real. That's so yeah. real, right? But yeah, but Gemini often gets that, like, that, that superficial, like you mentioned the evil twins, right? And that's kind of an old school way. I, I never integrate that into my readings because I don't think it's very kind for one thing. I think more of the like smoking, skateboarding, talking, reading, thinking, playing with your phone kind of Gemini when I like get the, get the picture in my head, you know, just, just working with those, um, those old ways of seeing it, that it's not necessarily about the, the twins, but it's about connecting the dots there the mm. same way and, and staying out of the superficial because that, that often happens if it, if a Gemini is polarized into personality and they're pulled out of their body, pulled out of their mind. And they're just like this kind of um, representative, right? Because we think of the salesperson with Gemini or Sagittarius, both are quite good at those things, either from the, the whole perspective, right? Which is, you know, that's kind of Gemini's thing, gem in I. Like mm. you had like the gift of perspective is one of those really magnificent things about the season, right? Is, is having that kind of top-down look or at least 
being curious. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think the curiosity is like such a key component, right? Because the Sagittarian archer is like pulling back their arrow to like shoot into the future and the like aiming for the target of like absolute truth, right? But I think it's really important to have that like curiosity about like what are we shooting at why are we doing this what what would happen if we did something else right and to not um suppress that or uh throw that out right because like curiosity keeps everything alive it keeps it moving i think that's one of the most um important qualities that we have as human beings right curiosity creates space it keeps us connected with our environment keeps us from getting bored you know, and I think that boredom is is bullshit, you know, because everything is extraordinary if we just slow down and have a look, right? Mm. Sometimes just sitting in the middle of a crowd and people watching can be the most fascinating thing in the world, even if you yourself are not doing anything. Right. And also that um, reminds me, right, Sagittarius is sort of the big picture or the gestalt right? The kind of overarching story that is told about an event. And Gemini is like looking at all of the kind of like little pieces in minutia, right? And being able to, um, doesn't necessarily like care about the big picture. It's like the curiosity of like all of the parts that go into making it up, right? And the like pieces of the mosaic without necessarily like caring or needing to see the bigger picture. And I think that if one is only concerned with the bigger picture, we can lose sight of like how um, kind of intricate and beautiful the tapestry is. Well, I mean, we do have a lot of really interesting aspects with this particular lunation, but if we were just talking about the Sagittarius full moon, like any old year, right? I think I'd like to get your your take on that, your hot take on what a Sagittarius full moon means, um, not just this one specifically. Um, I think that it is about that top-down view and getting the inspiration, which is such a, a key Sagittarius word. It's like, what is the inspiration that allows us to infuse our tasks and the minutia of day-to-day life and our activities with real purpose and direction? Because Gemini, if not anything, can get a little all over the place, a little um, diffused with its focus. Well, I think that um, the Sagittarius full moon, one, like illuminates this sort of bigger picture, right? We get this glimpse in the reflection of the moon of like, oh, this is what we're doing, or like, this is what it's for, or like, that's why I got this feather and this trinket and this trophy and this cup, right? oh, I see like how these all go together and like what these are all for in the kind of grand scheme. And I think that there's also this um, with uh, Sagittarius, there's a sense of like excitement and enthusiasm, right? And I think that the full moon kind of culminates that. Um, Like the full moon's also kind of a tipping point where like maybe there's too much enthusiasm. And so it's like, okay, what is the kind of right amount of like excitement and enthusiasm? And um, I just also with that to bring it into this present moment um the ruler of sagittarius um jupiter is in taurus and the ruler of uh gemini where the sun is is in taurus as well so like um both of the rulers of the luminaries 
in the full moon chart being in the grounded earth sign of Taurus, uh, maybe like offers some resource for like this enthusiasm, right? Or like that there's a place to ground the enthusiasm and the energy and the information that is kind of coming to light uh, for this full moon. That's fascinating, right? Like the, the, the these kind of like electrical wire energies are are sitting in an earth sign about abundance and as you said, resource, like what we what we value as well as what we already have. And Jupiter, if not anything, is abundant, right? And to think about excess is is part of understanding abundance, right? Like when is it too much? When have you stacked your plate too high? When have your eyes been so much bigger than your stomach? Which is nothing's more Jupiter Taurus than that, I think. During this full moon. And, you know, the North Node is the dragon's head, um, Rahu, which is sort of pulling us towards our collective destiny, right? And the uh, Rahu's head just sort of like eats and eats and eats and consumes, right? And so I think... On one hand, right, Jupiter being the greater benefic, right, um, is about like expansion, um, is about truth, is about, um, you know, these sort of uh, beneficial qualities and conjunct the North Node, it can be like bringing us towards like um, a better future in some ways, right? So this can be seen as like the seed moment where um, the kind of... Uh, uh, benevolent Jupiter conjunct this like kind of uh, draw towards the future is helping us to, you know, maybe shoot an arrow towards what we desire in uh, the future that we are constructing, right, that we are making our way towards. However, right, um, the kind of downside of Jupiter can be like too much, right, and the North Node, which just consumes um, it can be like way too much, right? Um, and it can expand whatever we give it. And like, if we're working with something that isn't healthy for us, it can expand or pull us towards um, an outcome that is maybe like overwhelming or too many calories or too much of a good time or too much of a good thing, right? So I think it's um, an element of discernment with like what we are asking to expand in our lives, right? Jupiter has that masterful quality, like the great teacher, the great knower, the great dispenser of information. And, you know, I think themes in Taurus, like we've been talking about this a long time since Uranus moved into Taurus and since the nodal axis was in Taurus Scorpio in this past year and a half. And, you know, themes of labor, of resource, our relationship with the environment, our relationship with money, uh, with other people. And, you know, the shared resource aspect of this, because remember, like South Node in Scorpio is opposing Jupiter, right? Just as those two connect at the North Head, that means that there's going to be attention pulling us to pay attention to things that um, are not are not seen, are beneath the surface. And, you know, here in the United States right now, we have, um, well, it's not the United States, in North America, right? Because we're part of a greater continent, there are massive fires going on in Canada, and here where I am in Milwaukee, I've not been able to breathe very well the last two weeks. And there's been a huge problem with air quality within our range. And the sky is this like hazy, icky color. I don't know if it's hitting you down in Santa Fe, Jonah, but I mean, this is like to be in an air season and it, we're having, you know, big issues with fire and more environmental disasters. This is, this is a call to action. And, you know, if, 
Gemini is what's in front of us and Sagittarius is the long view. What are we, what are we doing? What are we doing with our resources? Hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that in because, you know, looking at the maybe shadow side of Jupiter and the North Node, I just think about like the like cons consumption, right? Expanded consumption and like uh, the sort of like reliance on oil, right? And petrochemicals and the like um, kind of like uh, ravenous consumption of the Earth's resources, right? And this is like, um, you know, the kind of head of the dragon gone wild, right? Like expanding its mouth, like beyond what it can uh, actually take in or what's actually good for it, right? So on a collective level, I think about that as maybe uh, a challenge that like might be able, that collectively we might want to rethink, right? And uh, kind of consider like other options, right? And I think this is something that's been happening for a long time, but, you know, I, I feel it like emerging in my body, right? And I feel it like emerging in the news um, and just something to like consider, you know, and also thinking about like on an individual level, right? The level that we do have agency in like, how, like what we consume and thinking about like how to, um, to uh, consume wisely, Right. And in in right relationship with what we are uh, working with. So, OK, let's talk about the Mercury Uranus, Uranus, Uranus. Uranus. <laughs> Conception, right? and, <laughs> so, so I know my favorite planet because it, it's uh, it, it does its own fucking thing. It is like the most authentic piece I can think of. And. Uh, you know, from an esoteric standpoint, Aries is ruled by Mercury, Libra is ruled by Uranus. So I like, obviously, as an Aries Libra, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm all about this placement entirely. Because it's electrical, it's fiery, it's vision, it's turning things up on its uh, upside down, turning things on its head so that you can get, hello, a new perspective, the other Uranian piece of it. Yes, I am all about this because of the like the two octaves, right? If Mercury is kind of the inner piece, then Uranus is this like outer match, especially because the outer planets weren't really factored in until the last hundred years that we knew that they were around. Um, so Uranus delivers new information. It often is the bringer of like chaotic, unseen, unknown circumstances and situations. And, you know, we are, we are not fortune tellers, <laughs> granted, like people might think that like Jonah does tarot, we're both astrologers, right, but we're not predictors of calamity or of unknowns, right, and it's, and it's very inappropriate for an astrologer to kind of like make calls on situations. So, you know, I can hear my mom saying like, what is the truth, what breakthroughs are going to come this week, right, that's, that's the, the higher version of this is just being more curiosity thanks to Gemini right mm. yeah and um you know Mercury is just sort of moved out of its retrograde shadow um and and then is coming to conjoin Uranus or Uranus as I like to say and you know uh that planet being about perspective right about breakthrough about sudden flashes of inspiration and insight and mercury being the kind of our intellect right um our how we process information so like these two planets coming together these two archetypes coming together um 
uh, can be breakthroughs and insights on like what was um, being churned up during the Mercury retrograde in the past, I don't know, three weeks, two months, right? Being able to have that flash of insight of like, oh yeah, that's what it was about, right? Uh, may may that benefit all who listen today. <laughs> we we hope for that kind of insight and understanding because if if it gives us um, potential to have better compassion towards ourselves or to to redirect our energies or to kind of I guess fold it all in, you know, yeah, just have some context for what was going on, why we were doing it, you know, because I think a lot of what I have discovered about life is things happen, they make no sense. And then later on, like all of the pieces fit together. And it's kind of hard to see how I got from point A to point B. And when we look back, it's like, oh yeah, this happened, then that happened, then that happened. But that's not actually how it went. Like, you know, like this happened and then I went to sleep and then I woke up and I brushed my teeth and I made breakfast, blah, blah, blah. Like all the kind of like little minutia that goes into a life, right? And then we see that in retrospect and all that goes away and it's just these major events, right? And I think the um, Uranian uh, insight, right, that that we receive um, during this Mercury conjunction can help like put these pieces together. We want that. Yes, yeah. that. Yes, coherence. It's it's really helpful sometimes. So in the realm of things unknown, we have Pluto, zero degree, Aquarius. Does your chart say it's retrograde still? I can't read your chart. Uh red red means retrograde, yes. All right. Zero degrees and six arc minutes of Aquarius. Architect minutes. Okay. <laughs> and it's opposing our buddy Venus, who is just Kind of rounding out uh, their degrees of cancer, right? And so this is this is an interesting aspect because this has more to do with those value pieces, right? Because we have this little stellium in Taurus, you know, pointing things, pointing direction towards Venus and its placement in the chart will kind of give us some more insight. Um, so Venus and Cancer, go. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, like Venus and Cancer is how we care for the things that we love right? How we care for our values, how we like nurture uh, what we like believe in, what makes us feel good. And also like, you know, I, I see um, Venus as being magnetic, right? It draws things towards it that it, that it desires, right? And cancer is this sort of like being in, in a place that's safe, right? Um, and being able to like draw in uh, to this like cancerian like emotional place of like stability and safety what we desire cancer is all what... about manifestation in my my realm right mm. like that's that's how i see it because it's like the birthplace of all life you know so to be able to give birth or to manifest the things that we desire after gaining some clear perspective about like all the pieces that are making up the puzzle right so th this seems like a big refocusing like oh fuck did i like get off path again damn it you know <laughs> Um, in, in the past, when I, when I've done reports on this, Jonah, I've always used, um, uh, link to the past Zelda legend of Zelda, like pictures from that specifically because of the perspective piece. Like you're in the ground, you're like running through the forest. Like you're trying to find things you're bumping around, but like you do get to a chance to zoom out on that map once in a while. Well, also in this, um, full moon chart, um, Venus is trining Neptune, 
which um, Neptune can be much like uh, Uranus is the higher octave of Mercury. Um, Neptune can be thought of as the higher octave of Venus, where Venus is sort of like earthly love, terrestrial love, or like how we experience love in our kind of uh, human bodies, right? In our human uh, ecosystems. Uh, Neptune is the sort of divine love or like um, desire for uh, reunification with source, right? And that like higher, higher sense of love. Um, and so a trine is a nice flowing uh, aspect, a harmonious aspect where we have, you know, both of these uh, planets and water signs. So getting a very like, I don't know, uh, feely sense, right? A very like lovey, feely sense of, you know, how maybe how like we can manifest that um, uh, universal love, right? Which in my opinion is sort of like what we're here for, right? Is to experience love and to uh, be kind of conduits of love and that divine energy and how we bring that into our everyday life, which is, you know, sometimes can be challenging depending on the type of day that you had. You have another octave piece. So Mercury to Uranus is what Venus is to Neptune about unconditional love and self-love. While you were talking, I was like, oh, this is like the get plastics out of the ocean concept here is like what I what I look at the chart and I'm like yeah this is about plastics uh <laughs> anyhow okay so side note I watched Ponyo last night for the first time which is a Miyazaki film and it's quite cute it's not one that I've seen before but it was made in 2008 and there are a lot of undertones about environmentalism regarding the ocean specifically and of course it's like magical and whimsical and you have all the celebrity actors doing the cute voices but um, I was thinking like, oh, fuck, like 2008, Pluto went into Capricorn, right? And we're rounding that out. And then Neptune also entered Pisces around that time. Um, I know this because it nailed my moon, <laughs> zero degree Pisces. But uh, water rights, water activities, water, like these are these are all themes that are still coming up and that we are mostly made of water. And so taking care of ourselves and, and not only staying hydrated, but but like considering how that without water, nothing would exist, right? It's almost like taking the sun away. It's just just as bad, right? If we don't have water, we have nothing. Again, my two cents worth on environmentalism in this uh, the Uranus and Taurus era. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, being able to sort of appreciate, right? Like, because we talk about uh, Venus, right? It's love, it's relationships, but it's also values, Right. And being able to like really appreciate the things that we value. Right. And like if we are thinking about uh, Venus in this harmonious aspect as a conduit for that higher love. Right. How do we um, express our our values? How do we express, you know, um, that like uh, watery surge of emotion for the things that we appreciate and the things that we value? Right. And how do we let those things know, even if they're inanimate? Right. Even if it's water, even if it's like, you know, uh, a cup that you really like in your house, it's important to let the uh, let the world know uh, how you appreciate it. Right. Because that's sort of being a good friend. Taking care of the things we love is something that you mentioned. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, love is such a 
big concept for something so simple, right? Like the, the glue of life, you know, it's what, what brings us together and what creates desire and longing and connection, creation, beauty, you know, and beauty is not something that you can consume. Love is not something that you can consume. It's something that we behold, mm. right? And love and grief are so much connected and, you know, so for, for Venus to be in, in cancer, which to me like embodies grief in a lot of way, like that, that same sense of love and nurturing connection of all life of all things, right. It's the, the ocean, ocean of everything, you know, Neptune is in that, that same sort of uh, quality of energy. It's, yeah. it's tough. Like emotions are so beyond conception because we feel them and experience them so similarly but in different ways based on how we protect ourselves right our minds our minds might protect us or shut us down like that cognizant desire to like I'm not going to feel this I'm not going to let myself cry I'm not going to let this music this vibration touch my heart and my soul I'm just going to like repress it so I don't cry in front of my friends you know, versus the people who do to who do open themselves up to to be that porous and that like okay with uh, emotion and expression of that emotion. Yeah, and I think that um, just looking at this relationship, I think that there's going to be a lot of emotion sort of coming through in this lunation. And uh, if you're not okay crying in front of people, maybe just be someplace where you're alone and you can cry and it's okay, right? Like, yeah set that up for yourself right because i think that um emotions are sticky because they don't fit into a logical framework right it's information that um is uh maybe like uh non uh nonverbal right that doesn't fit into one of the like logical poles right is not easily understood and it's just something that um, we experience right and like needs to be experienced all the way through um, and that's like good emotion bad emotion neutral emotion which can also be really challenging you know to just feel neutral um, and that's a difficult place to be sometimes you know so we can use the uranus principle you know shining the mental flashlight onto the experience in the emotional body or wherever you're you know experiencing that that touch point and just um, kind of along the theme of manifestation, right, I think that um, there's also um, a hint of that with this trine, because Neptune is kind of like the dream, the fantasy, right, and Venus, again, draws draws in what we value, what we desire, right, and when we put these two things into uh, a harmonious relationship, we can um, begin to draw uh, what we desire, that dream that we are kind of like creating in the fantasy realm down into this terrestrial world, right, through um, that connection with Venus. Um, this can also, Neptune can also be delusional and confusing, right, um, and it can be deceptive. So, you know, I would not uh, put all of your eggs in one basket, right, but um, and maybe check in with your friends and be like, how does this seem to you? But, you know, I think that if we can stay kind of uh, grounded, tethered to reality in some ways, um, this is a really uh, beneficial aspect for beginning to call in what we've been dreaming of, or at least setting the setting the intentions and planting the seeds for uh, these dreams to maybe manifest into reality over time. Mm -hmm. 
just just to touch into some of the water aspects as well, and especially Neptune and Cancer stuff, right? Is no one can read your mind. No one can read your mind, not your astrologer, not your tarot reader, right? Like you have to communicate what your needs are and communication comes in a thousand different forms. So as long as you are expressing with clarity, the things that you need and you're consenting to situations, right? That Venus and cancer makes me feel like a lot of consent vibes there, but also not expecting folks to know what it is that you need right? Only you can know what that is. And with Neptune involved, sometimes we don't, we're not quite clear about what it is that we want. And sometimes it takes time to discern what that is about. And, you know, fortunately we got Uranus and Mercury working together to help like kind of burn through the haze, if you will. Um, but if it's, if it's not a yes, it's probably a no. <laughs> and if it's, you know, it, 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 go, it goes both ways is that we have to learn how to clarify what it is that we desire so we can be clear with our intent. And all this keeps coming back to the path and what our vision is for ourselves. And, you know, when we, when we get involved into codependent situations or if we're willy nilly about the choices that we make, which is very Gemini saying yes to everything, instead of saying like, no, because that helps to narrow and identify the path ahead. Um, so I think this is like definitely a clarity lunation with a lot of foggy aspects to it, which, which tests our boundaries. It tests us in, in trying to figure out what it is that we do want. And guess what? You get to change your mind, right? You get, you get to clarify what that experience is. And just because you say yes on Tuesday, doesn't mean you can't say no on Wednesday. And I think, um, if the if the pandemic has taught us anything, right, like through social media and through communication, it's like, it's okay to say fuck off. It's okay to go home early. It's okay to not put yourself in situations that compromise your values and and taking care of the self, right? So this is a just say no, or just say yes, moon. Yes, I love that, Lauren. Um, and I think it's also okay to be like, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. I need a minute. Can you check back in in five minutes? Because I need to like take a walk, tune in, gaze off into space, right? Um, you know, and if somebody's pressuring you to give them a definitive and you're not ready, like you get to take that time, right? You get to sort of figure it out because, yeah, in the kind of like hazy emotional waters, right? Um, sometimes we don't know what we're feeling and it takes a moment to like tune in. Right. And to get that clarity. And, I, you know, I think you bring up a really important point, like just because you say yes, doesn't mean that yes is forever. Right. Um, chiseled into stone. You get to be like, actually, I thought about it and my answer is no. And I'm going home and I'm not saying goodbye to anybody. Irish exit right over here. I'm like the pro at that. Or, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as someone who um, has experienced a lot of fawning as my survival technique, uh, it's all coming clear to me in EMDR, but also my chart points out to these things. But I, I didn't, it took me a long time to learn, I don't have to tolerate abuse, I can walk out the door. I like literally don't have to make things nice, or have closure for me to be like, this is not okay, I'm leaving, right? Or I'm hanging up the phone, I'm not going to put up with this crap, right? You can block people, <laughs> which is a miracle. Like who knew? 
I totally support that. I support blocking anyone you want to at any time because you can always unblock them if you want, but you don't have to. Yeah. We're exercising our uh, our Pluto Pluto power, right? Yes, yes, and um, yeah. I just want to touch on this Pluto uh, because right after um, this uh, full moon, uh, Venus is going to enter into Leo. Um, which is going to be the beginning, setting the stage for its retrograde at the end of July. Um, and as soon as uh, Venus enters Leo, it's going to um, exact that opposition with Pluto um, right before Pluto uh, moves back into Capricorn. Oh, exciting. I always love a good Venus retrograde. Yeah, and me too. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to talk to you about that. You know, I just think about like what, what kind of uh, attention that Venus and Leo will be needing to give themselves. Right? All of it. Yeah, all <laughs> of the attention. This, yeah. is, this is the month of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watch out now. Well, it's going to be it's going to be more than a month because uh, Venus is going to retrograde there. So it's just going to be like attention hog for, you know, for a while. So, you know, start picking out your costumes now. All right, we'll we'll bring those for show and tell next time. Great. Um, also, um, I just wanted to bring this up because I think you mentioned this after our last um, uh, podcast conversation, but uh, with Pluto going back into Capricorn, um, the writer's strike in Hollywood. When Pluto went into Capricorn, it was just two months after the writer's strike in 2007 which happened in like October, November, 2007. And then Pluto moved into Capricorn shortly thereafter. Uh, I thought that was very fascinating to me as the retrograde hit back over it. And I have friends out on the picket lines in Los Angeles right now. Yeah, fairness, right? Capricorn's all about like, take care of your people. Um, I just think, man, the system works, right? <laughs> like, it, like um, you know, uh, Pluto, like, retrogrades banks fail right the writers go on strike again the symmetry between um 2007 2008 and pluto entering capricorn and then uh pluto leaving capricorn and retrograding back to make its last pass and just the uh world events right um just mirroring each other um i think is really fascinating and you know in thinking about like the writers striking it's like they are sort of the backbone of the film industry, right? The script, right, is the structure. It's the bones of any um, show or picture, right? And so, um, yeah, those people, the people who are actually like building the skeletons of the shows uh, are not being respected and not being given their due. And so they're uh, walking out, which you know, Pluto, right, Capricorn deals with, like, structures, and Pluto uh, sort of is the kind of decimator, right, and so this, like, structure is um, being kind of transformed or um, needing to look at what is uh, maybe rotten in Denmark with uh, how the writers are being treated. I love knowing this language, and I love continuing to work with the language of astrology because it can you know, it's, it's not necessarily about creating meaning, but creating delight for me, right? I was, I was talking about Afrofuturism with a, with a colleague of mine, 
and we're discussing like uh, Janelle Monet and how her like a, one of her or one of their costumes that is in um, the uh, Black American Museum in Washington D.C was you know from this like futuristic you know music and stuff that that she had that they had done a couple years ago and then we were discussing um oh parable of the sower yeah octavia butler and and i was like huh well janelle monet has a sun sagittarius um uranus contact right like they have a conjunction between sun and uranus so i went ahead and checked out octavia butler's chart and she too had a uranus sun influence how delightful is that to be able to find connections and spaces and, and synthesis and things and finding the patterns and habits that um kind of help us to understand the world in a more meaningful way or to i don't know do we need to know the why behind things i mean for me it brings context right and it helps to um it helps me to feel in relationship to everything that's around me Right. This language has helped me to not feel like I'm separate and isolated and alone, sort of going through this living experience by myself. You know, it's like helped me to feel a part of an animate world and to see the uh, cycles of everything, right? Which um, has brought me a lot of comfort. I don't like whether it's true or not, like that doesn't really matter, right? But to have context um, and uh, a sense of participation in a living world, I think is really valuable. And, you know, um, what is it from the parable of the sower? Um, everything you change changes you. God is change. God is change. So final notes, stay curious, feel your feelings, take time, you know, smell the flowers, right? And uh, think about where you want to point your arrow on this uh on this full moon jonah always a pleasure getting to hang out with you and talk star stuff and brain stuff and life stuff and just stuff stuff you know so i appreciate you so much lauren thanks for having me on your show and i love getting to do this thank you okay hey <laughs> And I'm just giggling because like we get to talk about ourselves now, but what are, what are we going to say? Who, who are you, Jonah? What do you do? What do you, what do you do for the public? Um, so I, what do I do? I do astrology readings and tarot readings. Um, you know, and if anyone out there in Radio Land is interested, uh, they can contact me. I've got a website, campwizardcamp.com. Um, you can book through that. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at blind stallion space wizard uh, underscores between the words and you can uh, DM me um, and schedule a reading uh, if you are so inclined. Um, I also do a weekly astrology themed radio show that comes out on uh, Fridays for my patrons and on uh, Saturday uh, for everybody else. Um, and so I find music that fits with the astrological transits of the week. So it's a really good way of like embodying what's going on in space and getting to listen to like some really weird music and uh, dance it out a little bit, which I find is a really good way of uh, processing this information and a really good way of like that Taurus embodying, right? Getting to like dance our way through the uh, complexities of space. Um, and yeah, I think right now that's what I got going on. Um, and I got a Patreon, um, 
and uh, you can find me at Patreon Camp Wizard Camp. Um, and yeah, I got tarot readings, astro- astrology advice, I don't know, guided meditations, and then uh, the radio show uh, comes out every week for, I think that's at the $3 tier, which is less than a dollar a show. Um, and that gets, uh, yeah, emailed to you every week. So you're never at a lack uh, for new music to listen to and never caught off guard about what's happening in space. And that's me. Ta-da! this is where the Muppet show needs to come in uh I like I need to hype Jonah a little bit and maybe that makes it easier is like us talking about each other's services you know because I um uh my dear friend Shana who's now like a mutual friend of ours uh found found Jonah online and it was like whoa who is this like a dude talking about astrology and like making it fun, but also having all this in-depth insight into things in this really unique perspective. And um, yeah, I know I'm going to make you blush because that's what you are here, you know, like I, it's, it's so hard. We are both, we are both graduate students. We are, you know, both small business owners that dedicate our time um, to providing service and content in a landscape of like so much fucking content, right? And so the fact that you have found us in this magical algorithm or the silicon consciousness, all those things like that, that has meaning and you get to support us by booking readings, right? And uh, Jonah started out with tarot some time ago and then moved into the astrology realm and has found a way to synthesize the information from both of those symbolic archetypes. And uh, although I have not had a tarot reading from you, you've certainly like given me some insight or thrown me a bone when I was curious about a pull, uh, a card pull, just to be clear. And I think that I I booked you for a reading last year because I wanted somebody who didn't know me, you know, not my teacher astrologer, not my mom, the astrologer, and not certainly not myself, because that's really where the blind spots come in. And what I this is before Jonah and I became like colleagues or friends or whatever the fuck we're doing, like this amazing connection and joy of like celebrating each other's journey through the stars and through our lives. What I really appreciated about the session is that Jonah like did the work before even showing up, right? And maybe that's like your Chiron Taurus wound about enoughness or needing to consume more information. But I brought my vulnerability, talk about Scorpio stuff. I brought my vulnerability to the table and was able to receive so many blessings from Jonah's reading um, because it it gave me perspective and insight that I hadn't seen before, because this is a different lens to view the natal chart through at a moment in time. And an astrology reading is never, ever static. I felt like I spent more time with my astrologer than I did with my therapist in my teens and twenties, because I felt more value and I felt more seen and loved and appreciated and honored for the crazy experience that I was having, you know, and, and that it was okay. And that there was space for it. Whereas therapy is like, and how does that make you feel? Right. And I have a feeling that Jonah and I are both going to be pretty radical mental health care therapists because we are about liberation. We are about practicing active anti-racist, anti-misogynistic, anti-ableist, like 
all of that and in the way that we move through the world and through the lens that we hold up to our lives. And, you know, Jonah and I are both white body people with smart parents who had jobs and took good care of us. And yet we were just fucking nuts when we were younger and like did everything we could to destroy and break ourselves down. And I think in that process of decomposition, um, we had the opportunity to rebuild ourselves as these like, I don't know, I think you're pretty neat. I think I'm neat, you know, but it's like, yeah, thanks for supporting our work. Yeah. Yeah. And man, Lauren, thank you for, um, for that feedback. I don't know. Like it's, it's hard for me to take in. I'm like blushing. I'm like, whoa. Cause I think, I think you're really cool, you know, and I've, uh, followed your work for a while. And, um, I just think you're like incredibly insightful and in tune. And I've also gotten a, a reading from Lauren, um, which like was, I don't know, the way that you held space for me and like helped me to see the things that I couldn't see for myself um, was incredibly valuable. And I still like, you know, reach out to you when I'm like, what's going on with like Pluto on my Venus. Right. And like the way that you're able to just like calmly, like hold that space and like help me to see what I need to see in that moment is incredibly valuable. And, you know, um, I don't know for all, for the listeners out there, like I'm still in touch with Lauren, like as a way of like helping me like digest and process, like what's going on in my chart, even though I'm a professional astrologer, like Lauren's saying, like, I can't see what's going on. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be bad. Or like, well, if I squint, it could be good. Right. And to have that kind of like honest reflection um, from another person is really, really valuable. Um, at least for me and like navigating my life, you know, and navigating like how I show up for uh, the complexity of the world. Um, and also, I want to say, like, I'm really grateful that you're doing this work and that you're like moving through like the, a similar like mental health counseling track. Right. You're in a social work track, but um, you're somebody that I like want to refer people to. Right. Because I don't have a lot of people that I feel like, oh, I'm going to like this person can handle this. Right. Um, and as a like astrologer and budding mental health counselor to have like colleagues that I feel um, confident in can like handle, you know, clients or situations or issues is so valuable. You know, so anyway, hats off to you, Lauren K. Hickman. <laughs> Jonah was legit hiding behind their bandana. <laughs> Just for a moment there. Yeah. I know it's, it's like hard to be seen, isn't it? You know, and I think that's, that's what we provide is this like different level of, of uh, community care in that, in that sense. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your offerings. <laughs> thank you. What are you doing? What do you got? for? The <laughs> what, do I, what do I, oh, you're going to make me do it too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, yeah I just um I really frustrate over describing what I do because I don't like it's so it's so mushy like it's always shifting and meeting the moment it's very improvisational and I think that's uh why I would call myself a teacher first and foremost you know um I think stepping into the the therapy realm is just uh like the next sensical part of the journey for me in that idea of space holding. Um, I came to my path very young because I was very miserable. And I think, 
you know, studying Reiki as like a 16 or 17 year old um, and having grown up with astrology as a language in my household, um, Reiki sort of called to me in a way that I, I'd never been called before, you know, the word left off of a brochure that I found and, you know, I, I met a teacher and then I met another teacher and another teacher and have been, you know, working the last 20 years towards becoming a teacher. And it was just in the last year that I completed my mastership training with a different teacher than the one I'd been with for 20 years. Jonah was um, a very supportive part of me leaving a former teacher um, just due to our karma and harm and what happens with power, right? And, you know, PSA for the relationship between yourself and a spiritual mentor, teacher, counselor is like, never give your power over, you know, you should always feel safe and you should never feel like you're not enough with somebody that you're, you're asking for care, right? You're bidding for care with them. Um, but I, you know, I, I'll be teaching another first degree Reiki class. These are things that I'll only do in person at this point in time, but I do offer absentia Reiki treatments, um, which is sort of an amalgamation of, therapy and talking about what, what issues are ailing you, what um, health crises that you might be experiencing, what grief points or transition points that are going on in your life. And, you know, Reiki at its base will provide, you know, a sense of recentering and relaxation, but often my clients report deep purging and that doesn't surprise me, you know, uh, that, uh, people call me and be like, I had a really bad time. And I'm like, yeah, because you go on retreat and you're supposed to have a really bad time, right? Like purging is not always pretty. And I think, you know, there's more Taurus Scorpio stuff right there is this, this idea that things need to be perfect or packaged a certain way when it, the, the good stuff isn't playing in the mud, right. And getting messy. And that is not something that I'm afraid of. And, and also just being able to hold space for very complicated issues and shame, right? I, I feel like that's one of the things that I've worked with most, most specifically is people feeling shame about being human. And it's like, I think, I think humor can cut through just about any darkness. So I think that my readings are often uh, kind of the bounce back from humor to darkness, to intensity, to, you know, all, all of the things, the whole spectrum. So I offer the mirror, which is my version of an astrology reading that I'm not going to sit down and break down your chart and tell you what your North node means. I'm going to ask you how the fuck you're doing and how we can meet that moment. And I feel like Jonah often um, in, in your sessions, it's the same thing. How can we do a treatment? How can we offer the salve to your wound? And I, I feel like that's, if, if astrology is not useful, if it's not understood, then it's not helpful in my, in my feeling, you know, it has to be applied. If, if you're feeling confused about the language or you have to get a fucking book after you have an astrology reading, like if you're getting the book because you want to study astrology, great. But if you're feeling confused, then maybe it's not the right person to be doing readings with. Uh, so for me, it's like an ongoing journey. And um, I offer the lunation, which is a once a month meeting, which could be anything from coaching to uh, talking about astrology, talking about your spiritual path, any of those, you know, mentorship needs, uh, offering Reiki through the portal, which is my absentia technique. And then of course, the transformer sessions, past life regressions, and um, 
Reiki in person, uh, which are probably my specialties and why I need to be moving around more to like meet people and, and do things. So I want one of those. You know, that sounds amazing. Actually like all of, and I'm like, I want to sign up for, uh, that like monthly, uh, coaching session, but like, I feel like since we're doing this, like I can't, so somebody else sign up for that. Um, so I can live vicariously through you. That's so sweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, exchange comes in many ways. And I think that um, it's important to have uh, colleagues that you get to be uplifted by. So I think, I think Jonah Emerson Bell for being that person for me right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get our Muppet show going and online, but uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, what is it? Uh, Waldorf, Waldorf and Stedler. Also the uh, the hecklers. <laughs> yes, that's it. Okay. So anyway, until next time, you can find me, Lauren K. Hickman at ursaday.us. I'm on Instagram, Jonah, Blind Stallion Space Wizard. Thank you so much again and um, happy full moon. Yeah, happy Beltane. Thank you. And thank you for once again, listening to the Inspired Astrology podcast, really super appreciate your support and tuning in uh, for your benefit. And for all those who may gather something from this work, some meaning, if you will. This is Lauren K. Hickman of Ursaday Healing Arts. You can find me on Instagram at Ursaday underscore, underscore, underscore. That's U-R-S-I-D-A-E. Or check me out on my website, same name, different channel, ursaday.us. Uh, I hope that you have a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning in. Like and subscribe, pass along to your friends, and we'll see you next time. Stay inspired.